0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that would change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Welcome home, welcome home church. So good to be back. You are very, very excited to be back in case you haven't worked that out yet. And um, this is because we're holding a big welcome home party. We get to throw a welcome home party. And this is a unique kind of thing. It's a unique celebration. Because here's the thing, you have a going away party and it's kind of mixed emotions. You're sending someone away and in theory they're coming back. But you don't know they're coming back. You're just sending them off and hoping that they end up back with you, but they might not. And you go, oh, okay, they might fall in love with America. They might fall in love with San Francisco, create a little baking shop, fall in love, start a family, you never know. You never know, and, um, and you never know, that might, that might be what happens. But a welcome home party, oh that's when they're chosen to come back, and there's something special about that. I, I've had one, it's great, had one exactly once in my life, because I've really only lived overseas once, so I lived in Japan for a year in my 20s. Here's what you need to know about my year in Japan, fact number one. My only mode of transport was a bright red bicycle I inherited secondhand from a previous teacher, which had Go Red Flash written on the side, and I wrote it everywhere. It was sensational. Um, Fact number two, I wrote this down, I can't remember this. Oh, that's right. I accidentally set off a smoke bomb on a bridge during the 4th of July weekend. So this is happy, happy 15th anniversary, me for that fiasco. So we went to set off fireworks on, on a bridge that cars drive along, and we thought, oh, this would be cool, a firework go off, and then we'll run away, because we are idiots. And then we set it off, and we're going, oh, nothing's happening. But it was happening. It wasn't a firework. It was a smoke bomb, and smoke went everywhere, and cars came along, and they had to stop, and there was a traffic incident, and we ran away. And so <laughs> that's, that's how we lived in Japan. And the 20s are a heck of a time. And the, then... Um, The other thing you need to know is that when I went over there, I went over there with the sole purpose of snowboarding as much as humanly possible. Right, I, I went to live in Nagano, which held the 98 Winter Olympics, and I was like, sweet, that's got snow, let's go there. So I went there, and the idea is I, I'd touch down in April, I'd get just like a couple of weeks, and then I'd live through, uh, what comes after winter? Spring, some, right, it feels like that right now. <laughs> what comes after winter? Spring, summer, autumn, great. Live through all of them. And I was meant to get to about December, and then bang, into a full snowboarding season. However, I ran into a problem, and that is I was dating this girl, and I decided that I needed to come home and propose to her, and get married. The lovely Jennifer, here she is, she's in the front row. I tell you, I tell you, you only come back when it's for a better reason. And so I, I came home, I snuck back into the country, and I, uh, I had a few friends, and I had Jen's family, and my family, or the parents at least, knowing about it. Snuck in. I had to stay away, uh, you know, sleep with a friend's pla- in a friend's place for a few nights. Came back and I snuck in and on a Christmas day. I was talking to her on the phone, pretending I was in Japan. Ringing on her parents' phone so she didn't know. And I walked up to her door, and she's mid-sentence. So I'm like, and her parents go, 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 get the door. She's like, what's going on? She's on the phone, confused. Opens the door. There I am in all my 24-year-old splendor. <laughs> And, and emotions, all the emotions, she's overcome with joy and she's tearing up. Her, her younger sister just bawled, openly bawled. And we're, we're still not sure to this day why she was more emotional than Jenny was about this, but great times. And so we come back and suddenly the Christmas celebration turns into a welcome home party, and that's fun. So we turn into that and then we gather together and we do the presents and I pull out a ring, drop down on one knee and the rest is history. Look at you. Okay, what a lucky girl! <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I had to give up the snow season for Jenny, and I know that's you know obviously that's a small thing to give up for the love of your life. But that's the whole purpose I went over to Japan for to have that ski season. So why did I not stick around for the ski season? I didn't stick around because my reason to come home was greater than my reason to stay away right? The reason to come home was more important, it was bigger, it was more impactful than the reason to stay away. And friends, that's the only reason anybody comes home. And you and I, we've just been through this fascinating season of lockdown that we are starting to emerge from, like, We've been hibernating, and now we're coming out. And, and it's, we've just found out that home, this place of security and peace and, and happiness, has become like a prison cell. Right? Hands up who's been going a bit stir-crazy at home. This is a safe place. You put your hand up. God bless you for being the honest people in the room. Everyone else is lying. And <laughs> during COVID, we've all been going a little bit crazy. All been going a little bit crazy. And this place, you know, home is where the heart is. There's no place like home. Not home is the place of infinity Zoom calls and time with your family that you can never get out of like an endless loop. That's not what home is meant to be about. And so it's been a time of stress in that way. And suddenly this place that we want to be drawn back to, we're suddenly being repelled from. If you're like me, part of the reason you're excited is to be in the house of God with everyone else. But part of the reason you're excited is just to be with other people. And if you're here and you've never been to church before, it's quite possible that your friend's been inviting you to church for ages and you're like, do you know what? I'm just so desperate to be around other human beings that yeah, sure, I'll come, I'll come. (laughs) See, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz would not have been saying there's no place like home over and over again if she was stuck in that barn of a house in the middle of the Kansas Plains all the time. She was saying there's no place like home because she was so far away. She's longing to come home. So when we're away, we long to come home. But when we trap the home, we long to get out. What do we do with that? What do we do with that sense of conflict? Well, there's a story in Scripture that I love in the Bible. And I just want to unpack it because it talks about home. And it starts with this younger brother. And the younger brother comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Cracking way to start a story. Now he doesn't say it in those exact words. What he says is, I want my share of the inheritance. I want half of everything you have right now, but you only get inheritance when someone passes away. So he's saying to his father, I would rather the money, I would rather the possessions than you being alive and with me. Imagine that. And the father, to everyone's surprise in this story, says yes, and he sells up half his possessions Gives them to the youngest son. And the youngest son, the Bible says, goes to a land far away, a far off country. And then it says, and all the translations have great little, little phrases for the way they put this. The message says he, he, was, he was dissipated. It was, which just means he was kind of messed up. He was all around the place. He was all over the place. The NLT says he has had a life of wild living. And he went as far away as possible. It's basically like Vegas, baby, Vegas, right? That's what he, the younger brother was doing. And he goes and he has this wild living moment. Now, let me tell you something, church. I've been in the wild living moment where you are driven by your desires, where you say, I feel like that right now, so I'm going to have it. You're driven by instinct. You're driven by desire. You're driven by the idea that the greatest authority in heaven on earth is me and my choices and what I want. And when we're in that moment, we say, yeah, I'll sleep with that person. Sure, I can do that. Yeah, I'll take those drugs. No worry. No worry yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll steal from that job. No worries. It's not a problem because it's all about me. It's all about what's working for me at this given moment. And I don't want, the only thing I don't want is responsibility. I don't want any responsibility. I don't want any repercussions to happen to me because of this. I just want to do it. It's a fantasy land. It's a lie. See, it promises you the world. Every time you see an ad and it's got something to do with the Gold Coast or Vegas or Ibiza or Wherever the kids are going these days, I don't know, Cancun, I don't know. But every time, every time you see an ad for something like this, and it promises you the glitz and glamour, what it doesn't tell you about is what happens when you get trapped in a cycle of addiction. It doesn't tell you what happens when you get stuck in this moment, get stuck in the season, and the wild living turns into a nightmare. It started out seeming like fun, and now you are trapped. It never tells you about that. It gives you false promises. So what do we do when we have our desires and we let them run wild and, and we become addicted to our desires? At some point, we run into reality. And for the younger son, that's what happened. He ran out of money and at the same time, bang, reality hits head on in the form of a famine. He is in a far-off country with no one that he knows and loves. He's lost all his money and he's just desperate to eat. So he takes the first job he can get, the only job he can get, which is to feed pigs. Now, feeding pigs, not high on the vocation chart, right? Like, very few of you, when you were kids, were writing letters, and your parents said, what do you want to be, little Ethan? What do you want to be when you grow up, son? And Ethan's like, a pig feeder, Dad. (laughs) Like, oh, a pig farmer? No, just a feeder. interesting. Okay, you've never had that careers counselling conversation, I promise you. But here's the thing. This guy was stuck, this is all he had, and this is rock bottom, but it gets worse. It's not just that his job is to feed the pigs, because this is a Jewish story. And for the Jewish people, pigs are ritually unclean. They are culturally unclean, as well as being physically unclean. So it is like saying that this guy is beneath the ritually unclean animals, because he's serving them. This is the lowest he could get. The younger brother starts his story by running from his community. And at this point, he's at rock bottom where his community couldn't possibly let him back in. He is ritually unclean. And he hits rock bottom when he looks at the food the pigs are eating and says, I would give anything for a taste of that. That's a tough spot to be. But he has this moment where he goes, You know what? I'm being an idiot. And we need that moment. Just because you hit rock bottom doesn't mean you need to stay in rock bottom. Amen. He has this moment where he says, I'm being an idiot. I could just go back to my father. He's not going to accept me back as a son, but maybe he'd accept me back as a hired servant. I know his servants eat and sleep and live at a higher level than this. What I need to do is acknowledge all my wrongdoing, all my brokenness, and I just need to go back and, and say sorry. So he prepares his speech in his mind. He's in the far-off land. He prepares a speech. He turns. He looks at the road in front of him, this dusty road, this long road, And I just imagine in his head, if you're in the morning service, you know what's coming. I just imagine in his head, he's just looking at the road ahead. Country road, take me home to the place, come on church, where I belong, West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home, country road. Oh, PM service, you guys are killing it. And he gets through two choruses in his home. And so this, maybe it wasn't that far, I don't know. He was a good walker. And he gets, he gets there and just ahead of him is a hill. And it says in the Bible, it says that the father saw him from a long way off. Now, how do you see someone from a long way off? I'll tell you how, when you never stop looking. You've seen someone from a long way off when the whole time you've had your eyes peeled. See, the son gave the father up for dead. The father never gave the son up for dead. The whole time, the father's waiting, saying, "I'm here. I'm here. I've never given up on you. I've never given up on you for dead. There is a hope. There is a future. There is a family with me. Just come home." And the younger son, I'd imagine him. You know, he's reciting it. He's singing "Country Road, John Denver's running through his head, and he looks up and he sees his father. He's like. Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 no. But, and the Bible says, but the father, filled with compassion, ran to him. And he runs. And just imagine the younger brother going, Oh, he's going to whoop me so bad. And, and the father runs and he flings his arms around the son. And the son's like, Oh, no, no, dad. um, <clears throat> he reads his little piece of paper. Uh, I, I've, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I've, and, the, and the father's just dismissive. He just wipes it to the side and says, don't even worry. Don't even worry. He calls to the servants and he says, go and get the fattened calf. Really? That's the best calf. Yeah, that one. Get the fattened calf. Come kill it. We're going to have a celebration tonight because my son was lost and now he's found. See, the compassion was bigger than the brokenness. The hope was bigger than the misery. Right? This is the redemption that God offers us. And this is a great story, but it's only half the story that's the younger brother story. See, the younger brother, he's gone through this whole apology speech and the prodigal has come home and it's great. But there's an older brother, there has to be, the younger brother, older brother. And the older brother, the whole time as this this process begins, he watches his younger brother, he's like, typical, taking advantage of dad, you know, yep, half the inheritance, okay, off he goes. He just shakes his head, goes to work in the fields. Guess what he does? He's reliable. He gets the job done. The older brother knows that it's honest oh, oh, uh, it's end of the day it's his role to look after the family it's his role to, to take on the reins and to do the right thing so he does the right thing and he's working in the fields one day and he's just slaving away he's plowing he's sowing seed he's overseeing the servants and then over, over the fields he hears this noise it's like, is that is that John Denver? <laughs> Country road what? take me home what is going on? and he calls the servant he's like hey 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 come here What's happening? Why am I hearing? Why is John Denver everywhere? This is confusing me. And, and the servant says, Oh, I have the best news. Your brother's back. who you thought was dead and now he's alive. And your father, he's gone and got the fattened calf. He's cooking it up. There's going to be steaks for everybody tonight. You're going to have T bones. You're going to have scotch fillers. The kids, we're going to just use that sort of, you know, chop steak and throw it in it. And, and they're going to have a stew. They're fine. They don't understand or appreciate steak in the same way. I'm not giving it to them, but we're getting porthouse. That's just how I do cooking in my family. <laughs> They're going to have blade steak. And so everyone's having steak and the older brother, his face lights up with rage and contorts in anger. And the older brother storms to the party that is already being had. And John Denver's blasting at full volume. He's like, this song, this flippin' song. And he gets over there and he goes, go get my father, and bring him out here. So the father has to leave the party to come to the son. And the father comes out and says, Son, why are you celebrating with us? Can't you hear? We're playing John Denver. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I hear the John Denver. Enough. Enough. Why are you throwing a party for this guy? What do you mean? He's like, are you are you serious? Your idiot son who left, who left you for dead, he wished you dead. He took half your inheritance, and now he's coming back, and you're throwing a party with, by the way, what's left, which is my money. My inheritance, you're using my money to pay for this kid? Heck no, you're not doing that. I can't believe you would waste your money on him. Why are you bothering? You've never given me anything. I've been here all these years. I've been slaving. I've been working hard. Every time you asked me to do something, I did it. I did all the right things. And now you owe me. So what's going on? And the father is taking it back. Because the older son is doing exactly what the younger son did. He's forcing the father to come to him on his terms. Except instead of rebellion, it's this sense of moral indebtedness. This self-righteous justification that the older brother has. He said, you are in my debt to his father. And the father says to him, son, you've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. Literally everything. Everything. But you see, we've got to celebrate because my other son was lost. Now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. So we have to celebrate. And the older brother, at the end of the story, we don't know whether he's in the party or not. And see, the party represents something. See, in the story, the father represents God. It's a pretty clear allegory. The father represents God and this party represents what we call the kingdom of God. This, this, giant, this giant movement that God is about of restoring and reimagining all the world back into the design that he had from it, for it from the very beginning. And he invites us to partner with him. And at the end of this story, the rejecting, rebellious younger son is in that party. And the upright, moral, did the right thing, older son is not. And that throws us. Now, this is a great story. And it, it's a story that has been living within us and, and, and handed down from generation to generation. You know, the prodigal son is kind of a, a, a story. It, it's, a, it's a phrase that has just become part of life. But this story is meant to point to something. This story is meant to point to the way and the place we find home. See, we have all these desires within us, but they get disordered. We have desires for relationships, but we put them in the order we want. And we have desires for vocations, but we put it in the order we want. And all these things, our our family, our friends, our hopes, our dreams, our our desire to do whatever we want, our desire to be home and do the right thing and be applauded for it, all these things that get put in the wrong order, we have these desires and we don't know what to do with them. We keep stuffing it up. We keep trying to do one thing, but we do it for ourselves. So we have these desires that don't seem to find their home anywhere. What do we do with that? Well, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can fully satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for the presence of God. And what we taste here on earth, is just a foretaste. We taste and see that God's good. But God's got something more for us. All of eternity and life in the full right now. And so if we're made for another world, We've got to understand that what we're supposed to desire is the presence of God. Did you notice that that's the one thing that the sons don't do, both younger and older? You see, they both reject the presence of the father. The younger takes all the stuff and runs. The older one demands that he comes out to him on his terms. He says, no, 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 you owe me, you owe me. It's the presence we're meant to want. It's the presence that causes all our desires to be ordered in the right way. And when we pursue this presence of God, we find a deep, joyful satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else. Now, you may come to this and you're okay, okay, that's, that's great. Nice story, now what? <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you, let me, let, me, let me give you a little insight into your own character. We all lean one way. We all lean younger or older. And if we're doing it right, we sort of move back and forth between the two as we try and get this gospel-centered life as we try and move between rebellion and religion. So if you're here and you're, you're a younger brother type, there are two responses from a younger brother type. You're a younger brother type and you think you're right all the time. Well, then you go into an attitude of arrogance. And this is an arrogance that says, I don't want God. Either God doesn't exist or I don't want him to impose himself on my life. So I'm just gonna turn my back. I'm gonna do whatever I want and I don't care about the responsibility. That's if you're, if you're the younger brother and you think you're right, that's your response. You say, I don't want God. But you might be the younger brother and you're like, well, I, th- I think I have had this wild living life, but that's actually not me. I do want God. Well, then the most likely scenario is you're the younger brother and you think you're wrong and that's spreads shame. That's spreads shame in you. See, if the younger brother who thinks they're right is saying to God, I don't want you, the younger brother who thinks they're wrong is saying to God, I don't think you want me. And God's here to tell you, he loves you. He loves you. He's not judging. He's not condemning. He's not doing anything except welcoming you home. But that's the younger brothers. See, the older brothers have this right and wrong scenario too. And if you're an older brother and you think you're right all the time, then you're, you're putting your hope in your pride. And if you think you're right all the time as an older brother, it usually shows because you are trying to behave your way into God's good graces. And it usually shows itself by trying to put God in your debt, by behaving in a proud way and then turning around and being as judgmental as possible towards everybody else. That's how you notice that. But then likewise, there's the older brother tights. And again, maybe you've grown up in church all the time and you're familiar with it because often older brothers end up living in church. I've got to tell you, I take it from one who knows his own older brotherness. Sometimes we end up living in church and if you are that kind of older brother and you've grown up in church, there's every chance that you look at God and you say, well, I, I think I am an older brother, but I don't think I'm right at the time. And probably you're motivated by fear. So, you're not seeing God as a loving father. You're seeing him as a powerful tyrant who wants to punish you. But that's not the will of God. That's not the compassion. That's not the kindness of God. That's not the way we see God presented in this story. And we're meant to get to this place and say, okay, great. Good story. I get what I am. I feel bad about who I am. Can I go now? No, you can't. Because we're not allowed to finish until we understand how to change. And we can change. No matter what your story is, no matter what your past is, there's a future in Jesus Christ for you, for you. I promise you that. And we are meant to ask the question, how do I actually change? So that we look at this story and say, there's something missing. And there is something missing. There is someone, in fact, missing from this story. And he's missing because he's narrating it. He's missing it because he's been telling this story all along. He's been telling these stories about people that lose something and then find it, and someone searches for it. He's been missing because he wants us to see him missing. See, there is a character missing, and it's actually the character of the elder brother. Now, I know the older brother's in the story, but the real older brother isn't. Because the role of the older brother, we think he's doing the right thing, working at home with his dad, but he's not. He's not. His job, if the younger brother runs away, is not to work for his dad and talk about how badly behaved the younger brother is. His job is to chase down the younger brother and get him. His job is to go to a far-off country and bring the younger brother back. His job is to go and be with the younger brother in his brokenness, pay off the debts that he needs to, and come back and bring him back and restore him into the family. His job is to let the younger brother know that you can't outrun family. You can't outrun the presence of the father. You can't just run away. You can wish him dead. You can take all his stuff and, and forget about what it means to him, but you can't just run away. See, the younger brother in the story does not have the older brother he needs. But we do. We do. Jesus is the true older brother that you and I need. He is the one who came from heaven to earth, from his home to a far off country. He is the one who came to be with us in our brokenness, not scorning us from a distance, but enduring the same shame that we did on our behalf. He is the one that paid the debt we were meant to pay. And he is the one that ultimately restores us and brings us home to the presence of the Father. But when he did that, there was a cost. It wasn't for free. It cost him his life. And he took upon himself all the curse, all the shame, all the sin and brokenness of the world as he hung there from that tree, his life ebbing away for the joy set before him, you and me. The true elder brother in the story is Jesus, and he's calling you home. What do we do about that? How do we actually change? This is what Tim Keller said. He says, here is how we change. You need to be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring you home. You need to be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring you home. It cost Jesus his life, and he gave it willingly for you and for me. He gave it willingly Jesus is what draws us home. He sees you. He loves you. He gives his life for you. And he offers that freely. Do you know? It's free for us. It's costly for him. That's the thing. This is why the older brother was so mad at the party. He says, oh, it's all very well. The younger brother's getting a free party. This costs me. That's right. It costs the older brother. There's always a cost. But Jesus paid it gladly. So the question now is not if there's a cost. The question is not what kind of person I am. The question is not how can I change. The question is will you come home? That's the only question. That's the question at the heart of Christianity. The heart of a relationship with God. The heart of anything to do with Jesus is not about am I bad or am I good. Forget about that. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about bad or good. It's about dead or alive. It's about lost or found. It's about far away country or home with the Father. Don't worry about what you should and shouldn't do. You probably, there's probably tons of people in this room that as I've been preaching, you've felt conviction. You're like, all right, I'm living this lifestyle right now. And I don't know if I want to change. I don't know if I can. Forget about it. Don't worry about so much about that. Worry more about Jesus and what he's done for you set your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, because it's not us who fixes our faith, Jesus is, is the one, he's the one, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the completer, the finisher of our faith and for the joy, you and me for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, so the question is, my friends, my church, younger brothers, older brothers, younger daughters sisters, sisters younger sisters, older sisters Ready to come home. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, Don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.